Take your watches off. Don't look at your watch because God knew he was going to move this morning. And God knew that I was going to be up here this morning, so he knew how much time we had. So how many of you know it's not about the clock time, is it? It's about what God wants to say in this hour. God woke me up a few weeks ago, about 2 o'clock in the morning. And how many of you know that when you get woke up in the middle of the morning, you're kind of like, (laughs) is this God? Or am I just awake, you know? Sometimes you can just lay there, just be awake, and you're thinking, well, I might as well do something constructive. I might as well go pray or something. And I laid there for a few minutes. Eric had already gotten up, and I laid there, and I thought, oh, this is God. And he began downloading again, and I began writing for the next few hours. It's not going to take hours to give you what he gave me in hours, okay? So don't. Don't panic about that. But the title of this message is, Wake Up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And it's going to be geared towards the husbands. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is big enough to speak to the wives through this message also. So I don't want you to think that you're exempt and what am I doing here then if she's preaching to the guys, okay? Because then you close off your hearing to hear because, you know, God is so big and you can, I can sit up here and preach preach a message that was, and then when you receive it, God spoke to you exactly what you needed to hear. And it might not even have been said from here the way that you received it but it penetrated your heart. So that's what is going to take place today. So how many husbands do we have? All the husbands, I want you to stand up. God said that he loves you so much that he's giving you this message today because he cares for you, because he loves you, Because he wants you to be blessed. Amen? Do you husbands want to be blessed? How many future husbands do we have in here? You you husbands sit down. Now I want all the future husbands to stand up. That's right. All the men that aren't married should be standing up. All the guys, even our young men, they are, they are future husbands. There you go. Okay, so this is going to cover all of you. Amen? How many of you have heard us talk about change? Change isn't change without changing. Change, everyone say that. Change isn't change without changing. You know, we've been speaking change into your life for years, haven't we? It's been seven years that we've been pastoring Living Word Fellowship. And if day after day and week after week and year after year, if those times go by and there's not any change, 
then something's wrong. Correct? Change and transformation should be a major part of our life. Every single one of us, no one is exempt from change. If we don't think we need to change, I guarantee you, you're in trouble. If you think you're all that, you're in trouble. You are headed for destruction if you don't think you need to change. Because we're all in a transformation process. You know, Pastor Eric, has, he's preached four messages on marriage. Anybody hear them? Did you really hear them? Did you just hear them and go away? Oh, that was a nice message today. Because sometimes our actions don't, they don't show what we're saying out of our mouth. But yeah, I heard them. But are you doing them? Because hearing and doing is part of the Christian walk. Amen? You know, when a person desires a gold medal, did they just say, oh, I want that gold medal? Oh, I want that gold medal. I really, 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 really want that gold medal. I want that gold medal. I want that gold medal. Well, it's a good thing to want that gold medal and to say that you want that gold medal. But how many of you know it takes losing sleep to get that gold medal? Because those, those athletes that go to the Olympics, they don't get there by sleeping in till. 10 or 11 or 12.30. They don't get it, do they? They don't get it by eating what they want. They don't get it without discipline in their life. They don't get it without a strict training schedule. See, God wants that for us. He wants us to win that prize, but we have to be willing to sacrifice our time. We have to be willing to discipline our life. We have to be willing to lose sleep. We have to be willing not to eat what we want. Do you want the gold medal that God has for you? Then it's going to take sacrifice. Some of you expect a marriage to just happen. You expect your marriage relationship. Well, if it's supposed to be, it will. Baloney. It takes a whole lot of work to have a happy marriage. It takes the schedule of that Olympic person training for his gold medal to have a successful marriage. It takes work, and if you don't think you have to work at it, you will never have the marriage that God wants you to have. Never. If you think it's just supposed to come easy, I guarantee you the enemy will steal, kill, and destroy. Because that is so far away from the truth. Every marriage is at a different level. Every single one of your marriages in here, you can, I can't look at Bryce and Tatum and say, well, our marriage is exactly like theirs. I can't look at Wayne and Kelly's and say, well, that's where our marriage is. No, every single one of our marriages is at a different level spiritually because of how much 
that couple has worked to be the man and woman of God God's called them to be. How many of you have taken those four laws of marriage? Do you remember what they are? The law of priority, the law of pursuit, the law of possession, and the law of purity. Now, some of you remember a few things out of there. You know, like your points go up at midnight. So make sure you husbands remember that one. Your points, they're, they're just gone. They evaporate at midnight. So the next day's a new day. New morning. So you have to take that and say, well, yeah, that was really good when I heard it, but am I doing anything three or four weeks later? Am I doing anything to continue to walk in that? You know, we've got Sunday and Wednesday messages that go by week after week after week. And transformation should be taking place. And I know there is some transformation, but I know God says he wants more. You know, we cry out to God and we say, God, I want more. I want more, I want more, I want more. Do you really? Because when you tell God you want more, he requires more from you. See, he wants to pour out on you, but he needs his vessel to be right with him. Husbands, future husbands, wives, listen. Think of me as a messenger, not Pastor Shelley, but a messenger that God says, look what God did. He loves me so much that he spoke this word for me today. To change my life. To change my marriage. You know, I had Rachel go get this little clock yesterday. Because I was in my PJs. I was just sitting out in front of Walmart hoping no one would see me. (laughs) Without my makeup on and my pajamas on in the car. Mandy walked by. I was like, oh. (laughs) Go, Go at the back of Walmart. I may have to have you come up here and hold this. Can you make this work? That's your wake-up call. (laughs) See, I figure you always remember something when you can see something. You say, I remember when she held that silly little alarm clock up there and let the little thing go off, and it's not so loud. I should have held the mic up to it. I hit the snooze. Okay. Don't pay attention to the time, okay? Okay. God is saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, you mighty men of valor. Wake up. 
wake up. You mighty men of valor. God speaking to you today. If you don't wake up, if you don't wake up and you don't change, you're headed for destruction. See, God is warning you. He's warning you today. Now, there are some in here, you have great marriages. And praise God, you do. But you can always wake up and go to a new level. We have, none of us have reached it, have we? There is not one in here that can't say, I could do that a little bit better. Well, I could show her a little more love. I could do this. So you can't say, well, I have great marriage, so I really don't need to hear this. No. Wherever you're at, God says, take a step and go and move forward because he wants to bless you today. You know, it's a serious time of awakening. You know, there's, a, there's not a lot of time left. God has a lot for us to do, and we have got to be ready to do what he needs us to do in this earth to see his kingdom come to earth. And what happens is we spend so much time within the church trying to get healed. We spend so much time trying to get our wounds healed, our brokenness healed, our lives healed, our marriages healed, our kids healed, that we can't go from here to out there because we're still trying to get healed in here. And see, God wants the church to to grow up, to get whole, to get healed, to get strong, to get empowered, so we can go out there and do the work that he needs us to do. See, we're staying within the confines of our four walls of church because we're still broken, and we can't get our lives fixed within the church, so God can't use us out there. Like he wants to use us because we're still broken in here. And when we come to a place where we have grown up spiritually and we're strong, our marriages are strong because the family unit is the heart of God. That's why Satan attacks it all the time. It's his heart. It's his heartbeat. So we have to come to that place, be the men and women of God that God's called us to be, so we can go out there and do what he needs us to do. Amen? So it's time to wake up, go to the next level, because he wants to prepare us, equip us, strengthen us, empower us. But we can't if everything's about us. If everything's about me, 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 and meeting my needs, and me getting fixed, and me, 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 and our eyes are always on us, we cannot be the outstretched hands that God needs us to be. There's too much complacency in the church. There's so many believers going around with the attitude of everybody else needs to change. It's everybody else that needs to change. Oh, (laughs) that's right. Wake up. We'll hit that snooze again. 
Everybody else needs to change. I have it all together. Can't you see my life? Yes, we can see your life. And some of them, there is so much chaos. There's so much anger. There's so much turmoil. Yes, we can see your life. And, you know, there is a buku. I don't know if that's a word, but there's a buku amount of selfishness going on. Everyone say buku. You hear messages, and you try in a few days, oh, and you're putting it to work. Woo, this is good. Week later, are you still putting it to work? Two weeks later, are you still putting it to work? A month later, are you putting it to work? Two months later, three months later, four months later, five months later, are you still putting it to work? Or have you forgotten it and going on to the next message that was preached? So, oh, that's good too. Let's do that for a few days. I mean, we all do it, don't we? We absolutely all do it. You know why we blame others for what's wrong in our lives? Because it's just the easy way out. It is just easier to say, it is his fault. It's his fault. Because then you don't have to change. If it's everybody else's fault, then you don't have to take responsibility and change. Just take a moment, close your eyes, and think about how many times you honestly, really, really, really take responsibility for the things that are wrong in your life and in your marriage. Just see law. We blame others because of selfishness and pride. If it's her fault or his fault, then you don't have to take responsibility. It's about you. Today, it's about you. Say, point to yourself and say, it's about me. It's about me today. Not the one beside you, in front of you, behind you, in children's church, in the nursery. It's about me today. Say, it's about me. It's about me. Husbands, God has the alarm clock to your ears today. It's God that has the alarm clock to your ears today. Not me. I didn't want to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I didn't want to write, but I obeyed God. And I know this is probably going to go off here in a minute, so... Some of you are taking that alarm clock, and just like it went off just a minute ago and I hit the snooze, that's what you're doing in your life. You're hitting the snooze, and you say, oh, just a little more time of doing what I want to do. Oh, let's hit the snooze again. Just a little more time before I admit I was wrong. Oh, let's hit the snooze again. Just a little more sleep, a little more slumber. But God says, you snooze, 
you lose. You snooze, you lose, and death and destruction is coming to your house. God doesn't make you get out of bed. God doesn't make you get up, does he? He doesn't make you. He doesn't say, you have to choose life, but he tells you, you need to choose life, correct? He doesn't make you. He gives you a free will to choose him. I just saw Alex. That's not Alex. Look at her, her little hat. You know, this isn't one of those, oh, I feel so good today. I'm so glad she's speaking this word. I don't know if God is going to give me one of those words. I don't know because he hasn't yet. But all I know is I can smile and say it is a message of love. It is a message of hope. It is a message to say God loves you so much that he says, wake up. I'm giving you a warning to say this is what you need to do in your life. Are you going to choose life? Are you going to choose to do what I've asked you to do? Because there is blessings attached to it if you do. But it is your choice. You know, within those, cha- those, those messages Pastor Eric preached, if you don't got them down, listen to them again and say, let me get down these four laws so that I can apply them in my marriage and in my life. You know, I believe that every wife in here and every future wife wants a godly man. They want their man to be the spiritual leader of their home. They want their man to be holy. They want their man to be blameless. They want their man to live for God. I believe that. I don't believe there's a woman here that doesn't want that. And, and what happens is some of you men are absolutely oblivious to what's going on sometimes in your marriage. It's like you got a blanket over your eyes. I don't know. You're not seeing either because you don't want to see because then you'd have to change or because you're just not very attentive. I don't know. But I know that God wants your marriage blessed. He wants your marriage healed and restored and prosperous and healthy. That's what he wants for your marriage. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.21, it says you're to love your wives. It says be subject to one another. I like the way that they always go to wives submit to your husbands. But the scripture before it says be subject to one another. Out of reverence for Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, key words after this, as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, there's a correlation there. That's the headship reciprocal, okay? It, it's the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, this scripture right here, I think it gets really distorted and really twisted in its interpretation by some husbands. Let's look at Jesus being the head of the church. Does Jesus say, Delbert, I'm the head, you submit to me. Can you see Jesus saying that? I'm the head of this church. You better do what I say. I'm the head. You're supposed to submit to me. That is, it's almost comical, isn't it? To think that Jesus would say that because he wouldn't, would he? But yet there are some husbands that do that. There are the husbands that say, I'm the head. Basically what they're saying is, I'm the head, you're the tail, you do what I say. And that is never what God intended. His reciprocal of that being the headship was as Christ is the head of the church. He doesn't control the church, but he says, this is the way, walk in it. If you don't, here's the curses. He doesn't make you, doesn't force it on you. He just says, here's blessings, here's cursings. Which one are you going to choose? Here's obedience, here's disobedience. He will not force himself on you. He will not make you obey him. He will not make you obey him. He won't make you love him. He won't make you walk with him. He'll just say, here's my word. Are you going to obey? Are you going to walk in it? Ephesians 5.24 says, As the church is subject to Christ, not out, of, not out of power and control, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. As the church is subject to Christ. Here's another reciprocal relationship here. As the church is subject to Christ, let wives be subject to everything in their husbands. As the church is to Christ... Wives are to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Husbands, as you love your wives, you give yourself up for her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Who's the word? That he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor that you, husband, might present your wife to yourself in glorious splendor. That's your responsibility as the head, that you might present your wife to yourself in glorious splendor.
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and faultless. Even so, husbands should love their wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. I don't think there's too many men that have problem in loving their self. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes you can see this big old guy. He can look in a mirror. I look good. And when a woman looks in the mirror, all she sees is her faults. She sees the negative in everything she sees. He who loves his own wife loves himself. If you're not loving your wife, then do you have a problem loving yourself? But then in verse 29 there it says, For no man ever hated his own flesh. It says, no man, everyone say no man, ever hated his own flesh. That means you men must think pretty highly of yourself if no man ever hated his own flesh. But with women, I don't, think, I, I don't know if there's a scripture, correct me if I'm wrong, that says no woman ever hated her own flesh. Because we probably hate ours to our fault, to our hurt. Because then it affects our confidence and our walk with the Lord. Because it it affects our perspective of ourselves when we are so critical of ourselves as women. It says that, For no man ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and carefully protects and cherishes it as Christ does the church. He nourishes. He nourishes and carefully protects and cherishes as Christ does the church. So husbands, you're to nourish your wife. Everyone say, I am to nourish. I am to nourish my wife. Nourish means to feed her. Spirit, soul, and body. Feed her. Spirit, soul, and body. To provide for her, to supply for her, to encourage her, to promote her, to support her, to cherish her, to comfort her, to sustain her, to tend to her, to nurture her, to care for her, to look after her, and to take care of her. That's a lot of nourishing, isn't it? That's your role as the head. You're to carefully protect your wife. You're to defend her. You're to guard her and keep her and save her from harm. You're to assure her, to cover her, to cushion her, to give refuge to her, to provide a hedge of protection for her, to insulate her, to preserve her, to provide security for her, to shelter her, to stand guard and watch over your wife. And you are to cherish your wife. Are you nourishing and carefully protecting and cherishing your wife? What does cherish mean? It means to admire and adore, to appreciate, to cleave to, to cling to, to comfort, to cultivate, to dote on, to embrace, to encourage, to hold dear, to honor, to hug. Everyone say hug. 
to prize, to reverence, to sustain, to treasure, to value, and to coddle. And coddle means to pamper, to baby, to caress, to cater to, to favor, to humor, to indulge. Yeah. Woohoo. To make over, to nurse, and to spoil. See law. Pause and think on that one. <laughs> Verse 33 says, However, let each man of you without exception love his wife as being in a sense his very own self. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives, be affectionate and sympathetic with them, and do not be harsh or bitter or resentful towards them. Love means to be affectionate and sympathetic, to be friends with your wife. Now, that's an idea, isn't it? To have harmony with her. Kindness, adoration, romance, passion, appreciation, enthusiasm, and excitement over her. Attachment to her, delight in her, devoted to her. Enjoyment, fidelity, involvement, partiality to her, respect for her, soft spot for her, tenderness, a yearning, and zeal for your wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8. I want you to read this with me because we're not there yet. We, I mean, we can read this scripture till Jesus comes. But have we got it down yet? Absolutely not. We still haven't learned to love. Let's read this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. Everyone say, love never fails. Now, some of the opposite words, the antonyms of some of those words like love and cherish and and protect is abuse, criticism, coolness, apathy, indifferent, unconcern, passivity, hate, antagonism, discord, enmity, and hostility. Don't raise your hand, but anybody see that in your marriage sometime? 1 Peter 3, 7 says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with someone weaker, physically, since she's a woman, and, and show her honor as a fellow heir. That's fellow. That's side by side. That's not me here, you here. Fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. The word understanding, you guys need to know what understanding means. Let's see what understanding means. It means accepting. It means compassionate, considerate, discerning, empathetic, forbearing, forgiving, generous, and kind, patient, perceptive, responsive, sensitive, sympathetic, tolerant, 
way. You know what? If God told you to be understanding, to live with your wife in an understanding way, guess what? He's given you the ability to do so. So you can't say, well, I can't be all that. Well, yes, you can because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that's the only reason that you can. It talks about honor and grant her honor. Honor is adoration and praise. Are you praising your wife? Are you giving her attention? Are you celebrating her? Do you have confidence in her? Are you considerate to her? Dignity, distinction. Are you elevating her? Are you esteeming her? Are you exalting her? Do you have faith in her? Glory, high standing, notice, popularity, prestige, rank, recognition, reverence, tribute, and trust. That's a whole lot of adjectives and words, isn't it? That's what God wants for your marriage. You know, marriage is a sacrifice. How many of you agree it is a sacrifice? And it's sacrificing for one another. And it's not going to work and you've sacrificed your time for your for your family and coming home and saying, I've done my part. No. You have a God-given responsibility to meet the needs of your wife and your children. Do you hear me? You have a God-given responsibility to meet the needs of your wife and your children. When you chose to marry, you stepped into a role of a provider, not the provider because God is the provider, the all provider. But as a husband and future husbands, you'll step into that role of a provider. But God spoke to me that night and he said, but, but as that role of provider, you have to touch all three areas of your family's life, of your wife's life, of your children's life. That's your role as head of that marriage in that home. And that should touch spirit, soul, and body. See, God, he, it's always in those three realms that he's moving. It's our soul that we just don't get to surrender to him that needs to get surrendered to him. But he gave us a soul. We're a three-part being. So the headship has to be a three-part headship. It can't just be one part of that three and you, because you'll be out of balance. You won't have a complete headship. So as we talk about the spirit part, being spiritually the head of the marriage, it's not about, well, what happens is there's, there's too many husbands that don't step into this role as the spiritual head. You let your wives do it. You're letting your wives be that that spiritual leader, because you don't want to step in and do what it takes to get intimate with the Lord. But it's going to require you to spend time with the Father and to get his heart. As the head, it's not about power and control. I'm the boss and you're not. That's not what headship is about here. God never said you're going to be the head so you can lord it over your wife. 
Never. He made you the head so you could be there to pray for your family. So that you could plan out and prepare and get the heart of God. So you could intercede for your family. So that you could stand guard against the enemy and the attacks that he wants to bring against you and your family. That's the head. That's the head that you men have got to stand up and be and say, devil, I'm not going to let you have my family. I'm not going to let you have my marriage and my kids. I'm going to get in with God, and I'm going to spend time in prayer, and I'm going to intercede on behalf of my family. That's what a spiritual head of a home is supposed to do. Not about power and control, but it's about you setting the example spiritually for your family. That's the head that God wants you to be. It's about you walking in the spirit for your family. That's your responsibility. Are you walking in the spirit for your family? Are you seeking God daily for your family, for your wife, for your relationship? The second part of that is the soul realm. Your mind, your will, and emotions. How are you being the head in this area? You know, if your mind, will, and emotions are not in line with the Word of God, you can't be the head. You cannot be the head. Rachel, sit down. You cannot be the head the way God intended for you to be the head if your mind, will, and emotions are out of control. So you have to get the heart of God. You have to have time with God spiritually so that you can be the head that God wants you to be. The headship that God wants you to be is not a power-based headship. It's a sacrificial headship. It's a servanthood headship. It's a humility headship. It's a headship of compassion. It's a relational headship. And through that, you gain it all from the Father. And the third realm is the body that physical realm, the tangible realm. And one of those areas is finances. And there are many of you husbands that are awesome at providing for your families. You are awesome at providing for your families. You'll work sun up to sundown for your family. You will work and work and work and work for your families. But what happens is, that's your, that's your only strength. And the other two-thirds of the equation is out the window. And so you're out of balance. You're out of balance when that happens. God wants you to be a good worker, and he wants you to provide for your family. But when that comes ahead of meeting the needs of your wife and your children, you're out of balance. And you're not being the head that God wants you to be. 
And part of that body realm, that tangible realm, is touch. Some of you men will say, I'm just not affectionate. Well, baloney. God made you an affectionate being. If you've created it within yourself, walls around you, and you've convinced yourself by the lies that you've told yourself that you're not affectionate, change. God didn't make you that way. You made yourself that way. Your wife needs your touch. And she needs your touch in a way that says, I love you. She doesn't need your touch in a way that says, I only want to go to bed with you. She needs your touch that says, I value you. I adore you. I love you. And not the touch that says, I touched you 20 times today, honey. Got your affection today. That's not it, guys. Not the one I'm talking about. Believe me, she knows when it's real. She knows when it's from your heart. She knows. You know, Pastor Eric and I have been married for seven beautiful years. And what I'm about to share with you is not to give you the details of our life, but I feel like God said that out of our lives and out of our testimony of what God was, has done, that if it can help you and help you see what you don't want and what you do want, that's why I'm sharing it. You know, we've both been through a divorce. And there's been a whole lot of controversy out there of, oh, my goodness, how could they pastor our church because they've been through a divorce? I don't know. Ask God. God did it. We, we didn't force anybody's hand. We didn't say, God, you put us there. That's not the way it happened. God did it. So if you, if you don't because you're here. So if them out there has a problem then and they talk to you about it, you just say, I don't know, take it up with God. Talk to God about it. I don't have the answer. All I know is God's moving. And God's done a work. You know, if our lives can help you all to never walk through a divorce, and for those of you that have been through a divorce, to never walk through it again, praise God. That's what we want. We don't want you to look at our marriage and say, See what God will do if you go through a divorce. See, so I can get divorced and see I can be happy like them. Please don't ever, ever, ever look at our marriage like that. You only look at our marriage in the confines of marriage, what God has done in our marriage relationship right here, right now, because you don't know the hell that we've been through to get to this place. You don't know the hurt that we've gone through. You don't know the pain that we've gone through to get to today. So you can't look and say, must be okay to get a divorce. They got a divorce, and look how God's blessed them. We went through the fire. 
We know the pain and heartache of divorce. We know the struggles of standing and standing and standing and believing God. And I'm not crying out of past hurt for me. I'm crying out of hurt for some of you and your marriage relationships. We know the failures and the feelings of failure. We know God's best is always to heal and always to restore the marriage you have right now. That's always God's best. God knows what divorce does to families. That's one reason he hates divorce. He knows the destruction of it. He knows what it does to children. Pastor Eric and I are an example of God's healing and restoring power. You know, my ex-husband left, he moved out, and he was gone for good, and I knew it. I knew, th- I knew it was different that time. Everything was gone of his. There was no turning back after 14 years of marriage. I knew the heartache of control and manipulation, never feeling I could do anything right. I knew control. I knew if I didn't have those hangers a certain space apart, there was trouble. I knew that if I moved anything off of his counter, he would know and he would not be happy. I knew control. I knew the heartache of hearing that garage door open and wondering, had I done everything right that day? I'd done everything on the list. Would I please him that day? I know the heartache of being yelled at and cast out. I know the pain that it creates within you. I know. I know my family being rejected when they came to my house. Never feeling welcomed. Always feeling like they were interfering in his life. I know the pain. I know what it's like to be the puppet on the string. was okay as long as I didn't have opinions and I didn't have ideas it was okay as long as I did what I was told it was okay if everything went his way I was the protector of the children when dad was angry I would say come on kids come with mommy Let's go in the other room. If things were on TV that they didn't need to see, 
Come with mommy. Come with mommy. Let's go play in the other room. I know the hurt when your husband says, you can't have a baby until I say you can have a baby. When you weigh 120 pounds, I'll let you have a baby. So I did. And I had a baby. And then when I wanted another one, I'll tell you when you can have a baby. And I waited for his permission. And I had another baby. I know the pain of rejection, of gaining weight because you were pregnant, having that baby. And your body not going back the way that it was before. And the rejection because of that. The old saying that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because you can heal faster from that wound than you can from the words that came forth that wounded you. I know holes being knocked in the walls. And the feeling of embarrassment when I didn't have time to get those holes covered up. And someone saw them. I know the harshness and the fear of anger being loosed upon me, not physically, but emotionally, mentally. I know the emptiness and loneliness and heartache and failure and rejection. I know the pain of being blamed for everything that went wrong. Everything was my fault. But through all of that mess, I knew I had to have certain things in the marriage that was to come. And I knew I had to stand in an uncompromising way. Don't hear messages and not change. So you've got knowledge that you're not applying to your life. You've been given tools You've been given steps, and you have to choose. You know, Pastor Eric is an awesome husband. God has blessed me with an awesome man of God. I found the other day the thing that I had wrote before I ever met him of the things that I was believing God and a husband, and I found that yesterday, and I was reading over it, and I was like, God, you are so good, because he is all of that, but the first and foremost is he is a man of God, he's a man of God, Before I ever met Eric, I loved Jesus in him, as we talked on the phone from Oklahoma City to North Carolina, I loved Jesus in him. As he prayed with me on the phone and as he would tell me about 
who he met in the parking lot that day and how he'd prayed for them and what happened at work that day and how God had moved and how he stretched me to, to pray over the phone when I was so scared to pray out loud. That's how far God has brought us in a short amount of time. You know, he's not a perfect man. He doesn't do everything right, but he's pretty close. He's that 99.9% perfection in my eyes. He continually matures in Christ. And as I tell you about Pastor Eric, it's not to make you feel bad about what you don't do. It's to spur you on and say, we have an example right in front of us of what God wants to do in your life if you'll open your eyes and see the kind of man of God that he is. He's a sincere man. He continually matures in Christ. He's a humble man. He has no problem admitting when he's wrong and apologizing and making things right. He's a sincere man. He's an honest man. He's a man of faithfulness and commitment. He's a man of great dedication. He wants to please God. He wants to obey God. Husbands, are your wives seeing Jesus in you daily? Are you still on fire for God? Are you passionate about seeing his kingdom come to earth? Before Eric and I were married, you know, it was so fast to see what God did. We talked on the phone. He flew out to Oklahoma in May. We, we went and stayed at my parents' house for a couple of days. I flew out to see him three months later. He flew back to see me two months later. This is the third time we'd seen each other, and he proposed to me. We hadn't even been in person with each other like eight days out of all of that. Eight days when he proposed to me. But I knew Jesus in him. I was in love with the Jesus in him. And God had a plan. And God had a purpose. And he obeyed God. See, he moved out here not just for me. Because, see, I could have moved there. It was God's plan that he pick up Joel. They gave away and sold. I mean, he had this little bit of U-Haul trailer and came out here. That's all he had. He gave up his job. He didn't come here for a job. He didn't come here for a promotion, for a job that pays more money. He didn't do that. He followed God. He followed God. God said, go, I will provide. He didn't have a job. We were starting a family business, but it was an investment. It wasn't something that was going to produce income. He followed God. He obeyed God because he knew God had a plan. God had a purpose for him coming here. And as he followed God and he got here, three months later, he was asked to be the associate pastor. Well, we knew we had a call of God in our lives to be in full-time ministry within the church, but we didn't know how, we didn't know when, we didn't know 
how this was all going to transpire. We just thought, well, we'll just do school, school of ministry and start the hog farms and, you know, whatever God wants to do. But within that short little amount of time, within a few weeks of us getting married, we were asked to be the senior pastors of Living Word Fellowship. We didn't go knock down their door. They came to us and they said, God said, you're the one. And two weeks after we were married, we were set in at Living Word Fellowship to lead, to guide, to direct, to live by example. We knew we had to do things different than before. God wants you to do it right, right now, right where you're at. Husbands, your wives want a godly, beautiful marriage. Take your place. Just like Pastor Virginia preached that message. Take your place as the man of God that God's called you to be. Take your place as a husband that God's called you to be. You have to take your place as the man of God before you can take your place as the husband of God. You see, Pastor Eric learned to love me, to cherish me, to lay down his life for me. He's learned it very well. I've learned to trust him, to respect him, to honor him. Pastor Eric's a man of valor. He's a man after God's own heart. He loves the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and strength. He loves me as Christ loves the church. See, some of you think, he's just whooped. Some of you are like, man, she has him wrapped around her finger. Yes, I do. But the same is in return, that he has my heart, I have his heart. He shows me he loves me daily. He hugs me all the time. How many of you have seen him hug me all the time? He gives me those touches. He gives me those touches that every time he touches me, he says, I love you. I love you. I care for you. I value you. He'll ask me many times during the day, he'll say, have I told you I love you today? And if he hasn't, I'll say, no, I don't think so. And he'll tell me. And if he has, I'll say, yeah, you have, but you can tell me again. He'll hold me at night when we go to bed. He is the most awesome cuddler. He cuddles and cuddles. He loves to cuddle. Isn't that right, baby? (laughs) He'll hold me close. It doesn't matter how hot it gets. We'll throw the covers off if we have to. Isn't that right? (laughs) He's a cuddler. He loves to hold me. He holds me at night. He holds me in the morning. I mean, when we go to bed, 
We have to snuggle like that before we can go to sleep. Before we can turn any other direction, he just has to hold me. And when we wake up, that's the first thing, is he holds me. It's hard to get up. It's hard to get up. Sometimes it's hard to say yes to God because we want to hold each other. Because we didn't have that before. But you can have it now. Change. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful relationship. He holds my hand when we're walking somewhere. He holds my hand in the car. He asks me about my day, and he truly listens. He's not just, get it over with so I can go do what I want. He helps me around the house. Yes, he does. He sure does. And I know you guys are going to love me for telling you all this and and say, thanks a lot. I'm telling you what makes a beautiful marriage. Will you have ears to hear? One of his jobs around the house is to unload the dishwasher, for, unless Joel beats him to it. Get the trash on Fridays, unless Joel beats him to it. He's supposed to do that one. <laughs> he helps clean up after the meals. He doesn't just get up and say, go into my easy chair. That would be really rude, wouldn't it? That would be really rude for her to have spent time cooking and you think you have the right to go sit in your chair and do nothing? That's just not the way it goes. It's not the way it should be. You should be in there helping your wife get it clean so that she can possibly have a little time to take a breather. He picks up after himself. He puts his clothes, dirty clothes, in the dirty laundry basket. He helps me fold laundry. Not all the time, but if he's around and he's available, he helps me. He's always willing to help me. He prays with me. He prays over our kids. We've spent many a time laying on the floor, listening to worship music, crying together with the Lord, praying for others. We talk at dinner with our family. We talk about our highs and lows. What was your high today, Rachel? What was your low today? What was your high, Joel? What was your low today? And Mario, what was your high today? Right? Mario has learned some of our family traditions. We eat breakfast together in the morning. And sometimes we listen to the Bible on CD before the kids go off to school. We pray over them when they're not trying to run out the door because they're late. He's left little love notes for me when he's gone on trips, and I still have them. We've left love notes on the mirror and lipstick for each other. If I come home from the store and I have groceries, he helps me. He carries them in for me. He helps me put them all away. 
He helps me. He's interested in what pleases me. He's taken time to learn my love language. And one of them is to do things for me. Others is affirmation and affection. And I can create that little honeydew list. And then one day he'll say, where's that list, baby? And he's whipping that list out and he says, I'm conquering this today. Sometimes it has to add up a little bit. But I know eventually he's going to call for the list. And this time it's a good thing. It's a list that's going to bless me, not hurt me. He loves being intimate with me. And he's always concerned about meeting my needs above his own. He tells me daily, multiple times, how thankful he is that I'm his wife. He tells me daily how much he loves me and how blessed he is to have me for his wife. I know that if we had small children, he'd be right in the middle of it all. He'd be right in the middle, changing diapers, helping them get ready, feeding them, doing whatever it took. That it wouldn't be about, that's your job, this is my job. It would be about, we're a family. We're a family, and we do this together. We're a family. Families do things together. They help one another. They serve one another. They honor one another. They love one another. See, it's easy to honor and respect a man that lays down his life for his wife. It's easy. It's easy to do. He's a, he is a man of compassion and drive and vision and zeal to fulfill all that God has for him. He's a true example of a godly man, a man of valor. And Jesus is his example to follow. Again, he doesn't do everything perfectly but neither do I. And we work on resolving our conflicts. And we do have conflicts. We do have disagreements. We do have issues that we have to pray through and get through. But we've learned to repent, to ask for forgiveness, and to get things right. We've learned much, much, much about each other, and there's still much to learn. Some of you have gotten so focused on your wife's faults that you're not seeing her anymore. You're not seeing the gifts and the talents and the blessings she is to you anymore. You've allowed all the negative to cover the love that you feel for her and how thankful you really, really, really are for her and how you wouldn't want to go through life without her. How much, Jesus, do you really have coming through your life. Husbands, it's easy for a wife to honor and respect a husband that lays down his life for his family. Would you stand to your feet? When you step into the head spiritually, the head in the soul realm, the head in the, the body, the natural realm, when you step into it the way Christ wants you to and the way Jesus has set the example to, you will have a blessed, prosperous, happy, 
to be envied marriage. And how many of you were here the other day with um, Pastor Eddins? Those of you that were here with your spouses, and you've already prayed this, this prayer together, and if you, if you need to leave for whatever reason, um, you, you can go. But we, we want to do this as, as couples. I know some of you were here and your spouse wasn't here. Maybe they're here today. But we just want you to have this time for the husbands to pray over their wives and to commit this to their wives. And Pastor Eric's going to lead that. Um, Melissa, where's Melissa? I need that. I don't have my original. If you'll just, um, I guess just right where you're at, it's fine. Just husbands and wives, if you're not by your husband or whatever, make sure you're by your, your husband and just get by your spouse. And Pastor Eric's going to lead you men in this. And Everyone say, God is good. All the time. If you husbands will just face your wives. And um, this is a real important time, I believe, in the spiritual realm. And those of you that, um, if you have a spouse that's maybe a teacher or something, I'm going to ask some of you ladies and gentlemen that are single maybe to go in and relieve them. Uh, I just want to give a few moments for uh, the husband or wife that's back there teaching to be able to come and be with their spouse in the sanctuary. So, um I'm going to ask some of you guys, somebody, relieve them, please. As we go to do this, there's going to be a time where I'm going to have you say, the husband to say your full name, and there'll be a time where I'm going to have you say your last name and the wife's first name. I'll instruct you on that. And I'm going to ask you just to repeat after me, but I just, Bill, if you want to just play something for a moment. I just want to give a chance for some of those that are in the classrooms, the teachers, to come and be with their spouse.